All right, I'm going to call something back to your memory. And I understand we're approaching lunchtime, so I apologize for how this just might hit you. But do you remember in your house growing up when you would smell your mom making your favorite meal? Like you're not even in the room yet. You haven't seen the ingredients. There's no visual evidence, but you smell. For me, it was mom is making chicken and yellow rice and black beans. And it's like my stomach was ready. Or, or specifically, and I know this is so basic, but when she would make spaghetti and meatballs and garlic bread. Like I think back on those memories and it's like I'm ready to eat now. I can even just walk by the box of noodles in Publix. And when I see the brand that she used, all of those memories just come crawling right back in. And it's amazing how food has this ability to draw back all of these memories and feelings and experiences. It's like food, good food especially, can bring you right back to that moment. And, you know, I don't know what the meal is for you today. I don't even know if we're still allowed to serve carbs to children these days or if that's considered child abuse in this climate to give a child carbs. But I remember just eating pounds and pounds of that spaghetti whenever mom would serve it. And, and I love it. But, but it's funny because I also know that if I dive deep enough into my memories, when I think of those favorite meals... When I think of those meals, I'd love to, you know, dial back, be nine years old at the table with my parents eating that meal again. I know if I dial it back, there's so many times where it's like she was making that favorite meal, but I'm like, why can't we go to McDonald's? And it's like, I don't even, I can't stand McDonald's anymore. It's like, how could I ever have in my life wanted McDonald's over my mom's homemade food? Like, I know there's so many times of those things that I treasured so much that when I look back to the experience, I actually was wanting something different than that. There's so many times that I complained about getting even that favorite meal from my parents because it's, oh, why can't we go out to eat? And, and And it's funny because we have both sets of memories. We have both the memory of like, I fondly loved that, but we also have the memory of even that thing that was great. It's like there's times that I just, I pushed back against it. And we, we have this, this capacity to kind of look back and remember things without the whole story. And we're in this series called Reclaiming the Table because there's this truth that our family needs us. They don't need what we provide to them as much. They don't need just our physical presence. They need our engagement. Our loved ones, they need to hear from our heart. And one of the places that 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 happens at is at the table when we sit down and have food together. And that time together where we actually interact and speak and talk about our day and talk about our faith and talk about our life and talk about our joy, talk about our sadness, that space has eroded a lot in these last 20 years. Uh, We have this huge digital wall that forms between families of just bringing the screen to the table. And today I want to encourage you about the importance of the message that can be transferred during a mealtime. And when, we're, when I was prepping for this, I was reminded of a, a very important meal in Scripture, and I was reminded of this tendency that's probably going to feel a little bit familiar to you. I'm going to bring us through a quick study of the nation of Israel and, and how they, they moved from being slaves in Egypt into wandering in the wilderness and then up to the time of Jesus, because I think that you need to have that background before we get to John chapter 6 to really have a good grasp on what Jesus is talking about. 
And, and so to look at the nation of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt. And, and they cried out in distress to God. And God began to raise up Moses. And, and in fact, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, it says that the Lord told Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. And just a quick note within that, if you're going through a difficult time right now and you feel like God is not hearing you, I want to let you know that God, God hears, God knows, God sees. God is faithful to his promises, but his timelines often feel different than what we think his timelines should be. But God is always right on time in what he needs to do. But God hears their cry and he begins to raise up Moses. And I mean, God shows up in an incredible way. He does miracles. He sends plagues to be able to get Israel out of there. And each one of the plagues were an attack on the deities of Egypt all the way to the last plague of the firstborn son dying, which the son of Pharaoh was considered a deity in that culture. Every single one of them were an attack. It was a miracle. God got Israel out of there. He parted the sea for them to cross and get away safely. And there's celebration, but there's also congratulations. You have graduated from slavery to the desert, to the wilderness, right? I mean, this is where they've moved from. Like, God has a plan for them. He has a purpose. He has a land for them. He has a future for them if they will pursue it. But that plan takes them through a very difficult place. And I want to call back as we get into this difficult place with them where they left. They left harsh conditions where they worked as as slaves. They worked harsh conditions where the rulers decided their population was getting out of control, so we're going to start killing their children. Their conditions were terrible. But when they began to go through difficulty, their view of their conditions and what they were like in Egypt, they began to change. Their their celebration of moving from Passover through the Red Seas on the way to God's promised land, they began to speak like this in Exodus chapter 16, verse 3. Listen to what these former slaves had to say. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted, but now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. I mean, hanger can make you do really obnoxious things, and and they definitely had reached that point where they were hungry, but they began to revise their history and how good things were and how good the food was in Egypt, that they began to value their temporary comfort over God's future for their life. I want you to dial that home just for a minute. And I don't want to belittle the fact that some of you guys may be walking through very real difficulties. But I don't want you to lose sight of where God is saying he wants to take your life of how he wants to mature you, of how he wants to grow you, of the dreams that God has set in your heart. They often do take you through difficult places and sometimes we begin to get these voices that creep up. Well, maybe if I just went back to my old ways, I would be happier, I would be more content, I would be more fulfilled. And we forget the screams and the prayers of our heart to be removed from that situation. We, we have this tendency, I want to say it this way, that when, when the going gets tough, don't forget where you are going. When things get difficult, 
when it gets tough for you, don't forget where God is trying to take you to. Because the, the, the destinations that we want to be at, they're usually roads that are less traveled. The success that we want, the type of marriage that we want, the type of children that we want to raise, the type of person that we want to become, usually takes a refining process that other people don't want to walk through. And so if you're trying to move towards something better in your life, don't be surprised if it feels difficult. But the thing that I don't want you to do is begin to call back, oh, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was better before. And so God heard their cry when they're in Egypt, and then he heard their continued cry, you know, they're hungry out in the wilderness. And so in Exodus chapter 16, verse 31, the Israelites were given what's called manna in Scripture. It was a white, like, coriander seed, and it tasted like honey wafers. Honey wafers doesn't sound so bad to me. I could, I could go for honey wafers. It's like s'mores falling from heaven. We've got these graham crackers coming down. It, an interesting note about the word manna in the Hebrew, it, it, it has two main trains of thought of where they derive that word from. And the first and most popular one is what is it? Like literally the word manna just means what is it? Because you've got to understand this provision from God is falling down like, like snow almost. Like, like it's a morning dew that just collects on everything. And then they go around and they collect this, this flake-like substance, roll it together in portions, and then that's their food for the day. And so they're seeing this happen. They're seeing it around them and they're saying, what is it? And Moses tells them, just eat it. <laughs> like this is your provision from God. And, and the other idea of where that Hebrew word comes from is just portion. That, that manna means portion. And there's some incredible lessons in the way that God chose to fulfill this need that was legitimate within the people of Israel. He wanted them to eat in the wilderness, and the way that he fulfilled this need was that this blessing would come down from above. And there's a lesson within that of where we look for our provision from. And then the other thing and the other instruction that they were given was to collect enough for that day, and that day alone. And and in fact, when people disobeyed that instruction and they collected enough manna for for an additional day when it wasn't needed and when they weren't told to, it would actually grow maggots and begin to smell that very night. Moses got upset when when we see it happen in Scripture. I don't know if it's just from the smell or from the disobedience, but, you know, the two things— Bad smell and disobedience often go together. Both of them made Moses get angry, and and, and he corrected them. The only time they were supposed to collect more than that day's portion was the day before the Sabbath, because they were supposed to rest and have spiritual renewal on the Sabbath. Even in the wilderness, even in the difficult time, God wanted them to be able to rest in that day. And and as we're rolling through this, and we're we're seeing some tendencies of, okay, so now— They were complaining in the wilderness, and God provides for them all the food that they need to eat. It tastes like honey, wafers. Honey was uncommon. I mean, you think you can just step over to the grocery store and grab some honey, but remember what getting honey was like back in this day. You want to go play with a bee's nest? You're going to go for that? No, I'm not going to be the one out there collecting honey. And so what they were given was pretty good. But once again, the heart, the heart of what we have, we often look at something that is a blessing and we start to describe it as a burden. And then in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, it says that the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. Remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost? Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic? 
But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Oh, for the good old days back in slavery. Oh, for the good old days when we could get a fish in Egypt. I mean, sure, they were killing our children, but man, those were good days. It's amazing how our mind can twist things out of context when we allow our mind and our heart to get into an unhealthy place. The blessings that God sends can sometimes get twisted into something where we lose sight of that blessing. I mean, not that this has ever happened with anyone in, in this, this church, but you know, I know that it's happened before where a wife has looked over at her husband, the, the man that she once prayed for, the, the man that she once, you know, she, she wanted to get dressed to impress him at all times. Like she, she hoped that he would pay her attention. She hoped that he would get down on one knee and ask her to be his wife. She, she dreamt of that day that finally came to, to, to a point where they got married before a pastor and their life got combined. That person she dreamed about, prayed about for so long. Why can't you just put down the toilet seat? Why can't you just pick up your laundry? What is wrong with you? How come I cannot fix you? You are broken irreparably. Like, like they get to that heartbeat point where that blessing, it's like she wanted him in her life and now he's a burden or, you know, maybe children. Like I understand like before you have a kid, you're praying, God, would, would this child just be healthy and would it be here and would the pregnancy be over and we'll be just so thankful and then the kid gets there and it's like, why would you draw on the walls? Why won't you just go to sleep at night? I've made you three different meals. Just eat one of them. And these blessings that God has given us, they turn into burdens. And, and, and it's like this direct provision, this direct thing that we prayed for. It's this blessing that we would just say, this was sent by God into my life. But then when our heart and our mind gets more and more worn down, more and more unhealthy, it's like we walk past all of these blessings without recognizing that th- these are from the hand of God. Manna falling from heaven on a daily basis. God's provision on a daily basis, so tangible, they would pick it up. It's not just tangible, it's edible. And they got into this point of just complain, complain, if only we had more. And I, I, this isn't meant to be heavy, but I, I just want to, I want to refocus our eyes. Are there blessings around us that we've been missing? I want to specifically just shine a light like on our families, our households. When you look across the table, are you seeing the backside of an iPhone? Let's make that more important. Are your kids seeing the backside of an iPhone? Or are they seeing your attention? Because we only have a little bit with them. The spouse that you dearly love, but maybe you've missed the importance of what a tremendous blessing they are to you. Do they, do they have your words of affirmation? Are you giving them access to what's going on in your head and in your heart? And one of the places that this historically happened was around that dining table, around food. There's a lot of meaning in what happens around the table, and there's so many times throughout Scripture where God used meals to communicate messages. And 
maybe we don't think about it too much. Thanksgiving's coming up. That's a meal that communicates a message. We're supposed to gather with, with who we can gather with, and we're supposed to be thankful. The Passover meal, before God set Israel free from Egypt, that was a meal that carries a message. I want to tell you, really every night, your meal at your family carries a message about what your priorities are and who deserves your focus right now. And I understand there's balance, and I understand there's times where things are going crazy at work and you have to handle something, but I'm talking about the regular. What message is the meals around your house communicating? Because it, it should be communicating your priorities and what's important, not just getting something done. When we see meals throughout Scripture, especially the Seder meal, each different piece of them carried a message within it. And in fact, uh, the, the Passover meal, the last supper when Jesus was there, he, he took that meal specifically and he inserted even more meaning into it. it we, we see in John chapter 6, verse 30, I'm going to try to follow my notes and actually stay where I'm supposed to today, maybe. All right. Um, in John chapter 6, verse 30, if you have your Bible, you can flip there. I didn't have this on the screen because it's a really long passage. But th- this is where Jesus is speaking with Jewish leaders. And they said to him, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus builds upon this truth of how God worked with the manna from heaven, and he connects it to who he is. And it's important to note that as the Jewish leaders were speaking to him, they quoted scripture to Jesus, but they quoted it inaccurately. They said, why don't you give us a miracle like what Moses gave us? Moses gave us bread from heaven. And Jesus quickly corrected them that that wasn't a blessing that came from Moses. That was a blessing that came from God. And in this political season where we're so worried about what political leader is in charge, just another reminder, keep it on your mind. Our Heavenly Father has not left his throne. And God has worked under, not under, God always works over any ruler. And there is no ruler who can circumvent what God is going to accomplish in his church in any nation. And so as Jesus is speaking here and speaking of Moses, you know, they lift up Moses, but even the Jewish people at the time that Moses was leading them, they didn't even usually like Moses. Moses didn't always like them either. He talked about how it felt like death leading them at times. And they're talking about how good Moses was and how he provided this for him. And Jesus dials it back to the truth of what scripture actually says. What Exodus 16.4 and Psalm 78 both told, tell us is that the manna came from God. That blessing, it wasn't about their leader. It was about what God wanted to do. And then Jesus connects it into the truth. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He says, that's why I'm here. And he begins to set up the picture of communion that he'd teach 
during the Last Supper. And he makes this connection to this miraculous provision of manna that came from heaven to earth for our daily needs, that gave us what we needed for the day, that that gave us enough strength to make it through difficult times, through the wilderness, through the challenges, and that he was there. And it was offered to them. But like we see throughout Scripture, the offer is there, but it always falls on our heart to decide. And I think there's so many things that can slip in our priorities. You know, the table is what we're really focused on right now. It's an application point of these passages. But within our life, it's easy to slip into habits that we don't want to be in. And I wonder how much of our life feels like it has just slipped into busyness, 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 and we've lost our personal relationship. Because the invitation here isn't just to a one-time meal. It isn't just to communion once. The invitation is for provision for today, relationship for today, presence for today. And as I say that, I, I know that there's so many people who've been just moving through their life and it feels like our relationship with God is a check-in Sunday morning, go back to the week. Check-in Sunday morning, go back to the week. And what I'm going to challenge you with during this message, it might be out of your experience of what you've ever tried in the past. But I want to challenge you to bring your faith out of just Sunday morning and into your weekly activities, specifically at mealtime. Okay, Paul, you want me to pray before my meal? No, I want you to take it one step scarier than that. I want you to talk about your faith during your mealtime. Jesus says he's the life, that, that, that he is the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. What I'm convinced of is what your family really needs to be satisfied, what your family really needs to feel full is not just a meal, but is a strong faith. And as you sit here, you sit with an ability to influence your family. No matter what gender you are, no matter what age you are, you have the ability to influence your family. And the nice thing about the person who's courageous enough to start it is sometimes you can actually point this at the other people around the table. You can just say, so, tell me about your faith. You don't even have to have the answer. You can just have the question. What if you just began to ask the question at your table? How would your kids answer the question if you have teenagers or elementary age kids? How would they answer the question, so tell me about your faith. Tell me about God. How would you explain Jesus? Well, here's an answer that you can provide to your kids. Jesus is like the bread of life. He came down from heaven to give us life. And in fact, when he said, whenever you think of bread, whenever you eat bread, whenever you break bread together, it should remind you of me. Um, Let me see. Carrie, would you grab me one of the communion cups? I forgot to bring one up with me. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Thank you. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church, and he says, I'm going to pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the, the night of the Last Supper, the Lord Jesus took some bread. If you guys have your little communion cups with you, um, these things are pretty fancy. They, they have a top layer that has the wafer in it, and then it has the bottom layer that's, that's the cup. It says that on the night that he was betrayed, he took the, the bread and he gave thanks for it, and then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body given for you. If you want to know how to have a conversation about faith at your dining table with your kids, take some bread, take a cracker, and say, this is supposed to remind us of Jesus, that his body, it was broken for us, that the cup is supposed to remind her of how his blood was spilled out for the forgiveness of our sins. So when we take it and we eat it, we're supposed to be reminded of what he did for us. And not to take anything away from the church, but this wasn't meant to just happen at a church gathering, but it was whenever you have bread, whenever you have the cup, be reminded of this. Now, before we take it, I want to tell you what it goes on to say. It, it says that when we take communion, I'm going to start reading at verse 25. In the same way, he took the cup after the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an arrangement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who drinks, so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. We're supposed to examine ourselves because when we take this, it's a proclamation of what we believe. It's saying Jesus is not just external to me, but Jesus is part of me. And so it, it acts as a spiritual checkpoint for our life. We believe that he is the way to the Father. We believe that he is the source of love. We believe he is the source of joy. We believe he is the source of life. But we often get shifted away from that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and I'm going to have the band make their way back up. I'm going to pray for just a moment before we take communion. And if you would, just bow your heads and pray with me. Jesus, we know that we have seen provision from our Heavenly Father come into our life in so many different ways. And we've ignored it. We've asked for something different. We've seen your hand at work and we've missed it. We've allowed sin to reign in our life and we have acted as though it was not a problem. And so we ask for your forgiveness today for those mistakes. And we ask that you would guide us in how to walk forward. And we thank you that your grace and your mercy is new every morning. We thank you that your body was broken for us and that your blood was poured out for us. And today, we know that in the act of taking communion, we are proclaiming your death and our belief. So may that statement line up with our heart and our actions. We celebrate you today in Jesus' name. As you so feel led, take communion with me. There's a meaning in the meal of communion. And there's a meaning 
happens at our meal tables. And maybe it seems elementary. Maybe it seems impossibly challenging. But what I want to tell you is that it's incredibly important that we grab a hold of the opportunity that we have right now and we live out our faith to those around us. Because when we begin to start to speak of who Jesus is in our heart, in our home, we see the power of God at work in our home. We see the power of God at work in our marriages and in our children. And I believe one of the primary reasons that people come and try church again is because they begin to see my way of doing this is not working. So as a science experiment, as just a, I'm just gonna try it out. The challenge is to just ask the question at mealtime this week. And if you have someone with you here, you might wanna ask it first then you won't have to answer it first. Hear what they have to say. And I believe that as we invite God into our situation, we're gonna see God do incredible things in our household. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you invite us in. I thank you that even when we didn't understand, you were providing for us. pray that you would help us to value our time with the loved ones that you've given us in a way that we want to invest in them spiritually. So help us to reclaim the table in our household as we approach Thanksgiving. Help us to love each one of these blessings that you've given us in a fresh way. And we thank you for the opportunity you give us today in Jesus' name.